I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We've been told to feel good about getting older and that we should celebrate our lines. But at the same time, society actually only really celebrates us when we're young. Yes, welcome to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite. It is so nice to be back with you for another episode. And this one is a really nice candid conversation that I had with my friend Jacinta Parsons, who I dub as my radio mum. So Jacinta is a broadcaster. She works for ABC and currently presents like the afternoon shift on ABC Melbourne. She's also the author of two wonderful books. One is called Unseen, which is all about her pretty much her experience living with Crohn's disease and what it's like as someone with chronic illness to navigate this world. And her most recent book, which is the core of this conversation that we have, it's called A Question of Age, Women, Aging and the Forever Self. So I thought this book would be a perfect talking point for this podcast. It fits in very nicely and it's just been getting glowing reviews. It was published by ABC Books and yeah, I really wanted to talk to Jacinta as soon as I saw that it was coming out and it's not like a self-help book or anything or even a helpful book she reckons but really like a howl of rage, you know. It's kind of about grappling with aging and how that is one of the most confronting elements of being a woman in particular And when we become invisible, when we lose our sexual currency and the elasticity in our skin, the elasticity, oh my God, I did did say that right, didn't I? (laughs) Um, You know, when our bodies soften and change and when our perceived value to society dramatically falls, when our notion of self-worth takes a radical shift because, you know, so commonly a woman's role in this world is just to have a baby. But, you know, what happens, I guess, not only if you don't want to do that, but what happens when you do that and when you can no longer do that, we really struggle with our identity and our purpose because of all this awful, you know, historical conditioning as to what a woman's role in this world is. And we are, of course, so much more than just pumping up kids. But um, yeah, it's a really, really, really great read and I resonated with so much of it. So we're going to dive into that conversation in a minute with my radio mum. I dub just into my radio mum because prior to presenting for ABC Melbourne, she's done brekkie as well, but currently doing like the Arvos kind of time slot. Um, Prior to that, she worked across programming. So like doing playlisting for, you know, ABC local radio or whatnot which means you kind of choose the music that's being played in the shows. And she would sit in the same area that I would sit in with Triple J and Triple J Unearthed and Double J. And all of my former colleagues at Triple J would say this as well. She is just such a beam of light, such a ray of sunshine, a joy to be around. Um, Always loved being in Jacinta's presence in the office. And yeah, she's just like a really nurturing person and someone we could always turn to. I just vividly remember 
when I was offered good nights at the end of 2017, I couldn't tell anyone for like two months that I'd got the role. And it was just such a struggle because it was, you know, involving an interstate move and so many emotions were going through my body about, you know, wow, it's like the dream job, but oh my God, so unexpected and I can't tell anyone about it. And I'm, you know, just really trying to process it. But I was naughty and I like whispered it to Jacinta at her desk one morning, but she was like a safe person to talk to. So yeah, someone that I trust a lot and look up to. And yeah, it's just a really nice conversation. So we'll get into that in a minute. I am fresh from a gorgeous long weekend in Hobart. My first time going to Hobart. What a beautiful city. I had the best few days and it was also mine and Oscar's first like holiday together the the most we've done really is just a like a two-night stay down the Mornington Peninsula at some point last year but um yeah this is our first proper holiday and going interstate together and it was so nice we had the best time we just got back so my Bridgie picks this week I think I'm just going to link a bunch of like my favorite recommendations from Hobart so I'm thinking Sunny Bar which is just really intimate Uh, space for wining and dining. It was so fun. Beautiful food. They make it in front of you. Gorgeous selection of wines. Very popular place and walk-ins only. And it only accommodates like 20 people, if that. Um, So there's always a line. So you have to get down there early, but definitely a highlight of Hobart in terms of eating out. Uh, Also loved Urban Greek. That was recommended by a bunch of people to us when we did the signature banquet, which was such good value for money. Just like the perfect capsule of Greek cuisine in that banquet. And the service was really fantastic too. So shout out Urban Greek. We did a nice stroll through the Royal Botanic Gardens. We of course went to Mona, which was awesome. And we did the posh pit, which is a little fancy upgrade on the ferry, which gives you like some booze, some sparkling and some nice nibbles. And yeah, that was a well worth treat. Would highly recommend doing that. Um, We went up Mount Wellington, but it was a really overcast muggy day, but it was good. Like the walking tracks are good. We just had shit views. (laughs) And the Fern Tree Tavern was really good to eat at after we did our little walkies. Um, What else did we see? Oh, Battery Point was beautiful. One of my favorite memories that I'm just going to have of Oscar, which is so random, but of just being on like the scooters, you know, you can do the lime scooters and scootering around Battery Point. And he was in front of me and just looking, taking in the scenery. He's this, you know, he's a view, Hobart's a view. (laughs) It was very beautiful. And just one of those nice moments you're like, wow, this is a really fun day and I'm really enjoying this. So we um, went to Jackman and McRoss, which is a nice cafe, Salamanca Markets, but they were so busy. There was a massive cruise ship in town. So I think a lot of people from the cruise were off sussing the markets, which, you know, understandable. But um, yeah, that's some of my Tassie highlights. So I'll chuck the links to all of those in the show notes of this episode. But I want you to hear this conversation that I had with Jacinta Parsons. So we're talking a lot about her book. Again, it's called A Question of Age. Women, Aging and the Forever Self. I'll read you some of the reviews too. Claire Bowditch said, it's hard to explain the relief one feels when an author tells the truth like this. This is a work of love. Peggy Fru, heartfelt, deeply thoughtful, blazing with truth-filled rage. It's just, yeah, a very, very honest observation as to what happens when our outside self doesn't match our inside self and how can we adjust our perceptions of getting older? What does it mean to age as a woman? How do we adjust our thinking about being in the world? So hope you enjoy this one. It's figuring out 30 and a question of age. 
with Jacinta Parsons. Jacinta Parsons, aka my radio mom, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> I feel so excited as your mom to come and see. Look at my little birdie, um, you know, <laughs> flying out of the nest and being an incredible little human. Little birdie spreading her wings. But I'm so excited to have you on because I've been holding on to your book since it came out. I'm holding it in my hands right now. Here she is, A Question of Age. And it is such a perfect read and a perfect conversation for the topic of my podcast, which is all about the transition into our 30s, which is, you know, a big chapter of one's life. So we're going to dive into this book in a second, but can we start with the question that I always ask people on this podcast? Oh, please do. So it's called expectation versus reality, right? So I want you to kind of wind back to baby Jacinta growing up, what you had envisioned for yourself um, by the age of 30, and then what was the reality when you hit 30 and if it mirrored what you had originally pictured for yourself. So what was going on in Jacinta's life? It's so funny because I remember um, when I was living in a share house and I got this little note that someone wrote me, uh, one of my housemates saying, I invite you and your family you know, to our camping site in, you know, five years' time or something. And that was when we were going to turn 24 or something crazy, as if that was old age. So um, it's interesting because 30 felt like so far away. But now that I wind back, Bridget, it's a beautiful, um, you know, young time in my life. So I guess I would have imagined when I was little that I would have probably had a job for a long time. I think I was going to be a teacher. Um, You'd make that- a great teacher, by the way. Thanks, babe. I yeah. can see that. Nurturing, patient. Fun. Yeah, patient, not so much. Uh, <laughs> I'm into the theories of education. I love it. So I was kind of, I thought about that when I was little. Um, but the reality was very different from from what I imagined. As I'm sure, do you get that answer every time that yeah. everyone? Yeah, every time. So what was happening? Well, when I was 30, I was sick. Mm. Um, So that was probably at one of the heightened points of um, my illness experience. I just had a baby, which is kind of looking back, it feels like I was really young, but at the time it made a lot of sense. And you had your diagnosis already for Crohn's? Yeah. In fact, um, at this point, I had a colostomy bag, which was a really, you know, kind of in the thick of my illness. I had Crohn's disease. Um, it was really quite serious at this time. And then out of nowhere, uh, it's one of my favourite stories. I was preparing to go to um, to have an operation and I just had this random thought. Imagine if you went and had an operation and you lost a baby you never knew you had. I just had this thought. And I went and I got myself a pregnancy test uh, on this random thought and and found out that I was pregnant. And that would have been when I was 28, 29. So when I turned 30, I can remember it really clear. I remember the dress I wore for my 30th birthday. Yeah. It's kind of like this white retro dress. And I had a little baby and I was still really sick, just trying to work out who I was again in the world after having my 20s kind of decimated. Mm, and that whole thing, um, you know, as someone with endo and who entertains the idea of being a mother one day, that struggle of like, not only, I guess, yeah, finding yourself again as a mother, but also how you can care for someone else when, you know, you were in the thick of your illness, like that must've been really tough. Yeah, really tough. And really, yeah, I think looking at it now, it was really the thirties was the beginning of that 
that re-identification, trying to work out who I was anew. You know how there's those fresh moments where you kind of begin again almost? Um, 30s felt like that for me because I'd become a mom. I was sort of coming through a period of illness where I could see myself maybe finding myself back into work at some point, which I ended up doing. Mm. But also just like um, working out who you are suddenly, you're not going out as much, you know, all that sort of stuff that kind of shifts. You start to settle down in whatever way you choose to do it. Yeah, it's, it's a re- it was a really interesting time. Yeah. So when did you first think of writing the book? Like when did A Question of Age kind of come to mind? What triggered that? It actually, I had a moment, um, Bridget, that maybe you and I might have had together. I was at a bar. I was speaking to this um, woman and we were having this beautiful chat, you know, like you and I connected beautifully and we do. And I think we're just connecting. And then she turns to me and she says, oh, my God, I wish you were my mother. (laughs) So I was like, oh, my God, I didn't think you saw me in that way. I thought we were just having a cute little chat, two people, you know, meeting each other, having a lovely time. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of that. But it was also just one of those moments of, oh, my God, I've crossed over again. Because I think (laughs) When you cross over in aging, I think it happens in your 30s and I think it happens in your 40s and then obviously into your 50s where you you feel like as far as the world is concerned, you've sort of become a different person. So how old did you kind of, because, you know, like I always, I'm 31 and I still think that I'm like 26 or something. So when I'm reminded of my age, I'm like, do people see me as a 31-year-old or do people see me as like a 26-year-old, you know? <laughs> well, that, that's one of the things I did a study on in the book. It was um, apparently, and it'll be different for kind of younger people, but, you know, the older you get, Um, it's about 20 years younger is how you actually feel. And that was a really interesting um, thought for me as well because what does that mean in terms of how we treat each other or how we are made to feel regarding how we look in the world rather than actually what our essence is telling us Mm. and how much we have to kind of perform this age group that we suddenly think that we belong to. So, you know, as you're getting older, just trying to challenge what does it actually mean and, and how much have I been influenced around all the systemic stuff that creates um, ageism and, you know, it, it really goes into that sexism stuff as well. Yeah. A, a interesting, I don't know, observation. Like when I think of when I call you like radio mum, because the distinct memory I have is when I like, you know, came over to your desk and I was like on my knees and telling you about how I had to move to Sydney, but couldn't tell anyone for two months. And like, you were just like such a safe person for me to just like whisper that to before like going into another room and breaking down for the millionth time. So, but when I, it's funny, cause when I observe like perhaps, you know, for example, you and Joe Lauder from Triple J Hack, I look at you two like your sisters and like Joe is like younger than me or we're the same age. And like, I don't know, it's just interesting. Like I don't see you as a mum in the sense that like you're old because you're not, but like it's like no. a nurturing kind of like yeah. safe space in and a way. If that makes honestly, sense. being called your radio mum and, you know, I'm Joe's work mum and like I, f- I love that so much and I think it's also part of what I've written about in the book is the cross-generational love that we have. And I don't, it's not about a mom. It's about this kind of space I can hold with you, which is just this kindness that we can share together um, coming 
at the world from 20 years apart, Nelly. You know, like where you think about it, where I think about it, we each get something off it. But um, I, I can provide that sort of space of safety for you, I suppose. Yeah, safety is like the big thing. Well, yeah, you're, you're a safe person, Jacinta. <laughs> That's the nicest thing that anyone can say. That's beautiful. I feel yeah. so honoured and I'm so proud of you like a mum might be, you know, in, in the work that you do. I, I feel quite close to the people that I felt like I was, you know, older around at work. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a really nice thing. We'll get into that so many things from the bloody book. Like I was writing down word after word because there's just so many amazing lines. Like you're such a brilliant writer and the way you articulate things. And the first thing that I wrote down when I was reading it was literally the first page when you're like I noticed that I was transforming into something new that I'd slowed down at my face had changed. What was strange to me was that I didn't feel much different on the inside, which is, you know, you know, in line with what we're kind of talking about right now. So is that, was the bar when that happened or did, when did this particular thing happen, I guess? Yeah, I think it's sort of what I was saying. There's those multiple moments of understanding that you're being seen and you feel different. You know, there's this really um, stark moment and I, it, it's so, it's so beautiful to talk to you about this stuff because a lot of women kind of late forties, fifties, even thirties will describe that moment when they become invisible in the world. And it, there's a really a moment where you're like, oh, right, I'm like not like I was treated previously. So, yeah, I mean, I just think there are quite a, a series of moments where you realise that you're getting older and you're being thought of that way. Nothing particularly, you know, um, it's happened right now, I just think a series of times. And I just really thought, okay, I'm about to enter into the thick of it. I'm going through perimenopause, heading into that world. How am I going to prepare myself to do this as best I can? How do I look at what what is happening around me and think about it? So the book certainly wasn't about knowing anything. It was really just about wondering at this later stage, you know, where I am heading in, what, what can I learn? What can I do differently um, perhaps than if I hadn't done this thinking around it. And when did the frustration kick in for you, I guess, in relation to aging? Because the book is, you know, it's coined as a howl of rage as well, not a a self-help book or one that gives the answers. It's just like almost, you know, you're putting it out there and be like, yeah, shit's fucked, especially for women aging, you know? So when did that frustration kick in for you? I think that's exactly what it is because what um what often we get told especially going through menopause and I know you as someone who experiences endometriosis um that we are aligned with hormonal shifts that we are seen as you know being a bit um crazy is sometimes the words that are used around menopause you know and perimenopause and so and angry angry as well Mm. obviously is the thinking around it so I just thought, you know what, actually, no, the howl of rage is not about that. The howl of rage is when you get to a period in your life and you realise that all the things that you hoped may change uh, for women, for First Nations women, for disabled women, um, for mainstream women, I suppose, as well, have not changed. We still have, you know, horrific um, accounts of violence against women we still have, you know, the lowest, the largest growing cohort of homelessness in this country is women over 50. Women don't have the sort of safeguards uh, that men have as they get older because they haven't worked to accrue as much superannuation in these kind of generations of women. So the rage 
is really about this um, inequity of experience for older women and getting older as a woman in this country for some women is actually really dangerous. Mm. Women haven't got, because they are largely either main carers in families and in communities, um, haven't had the same opportunities to accrue safety nets. So um, in terms of how then they navigate the world and the safety for them as they navigate the world as they get older, it's actually a dangerous thing. We also know that women are not visible in some of these spaces, that, you know, being homeless, it's not even safe, obviously, to be going into getting support in, you know, some of the environments that might provide it because it's such a gendered space. So there's just so many Mm. accounts of um, how it's not safe getting older as a woman in this country. Yeah, and I guess uh, alongside that is just the kind of the deep shame. Like there's the fear and then the the shame because we it's almost you know I kind of strangely liken it to I don't know why like greyhounds and horses and even like dog breeding is coming up like you know you they punch out kids or they do the races and once they're done with that they're almost perceived as like useless and so many of those animals get like put down and stuff. Why am I like making that link? Is that extreme? <laughs> but that's kind of like where we feel like once we've done what we've needed to do. <laughs> it's the most accurately extreme uh, link that you could make. But uh, <laughs> it's part of it is this sense that, God, we, we grew up the kids, we did the work, we did the labour there, and now we're not needed anymore. So whilst that invisibility is sometimes described in humorous ways around not being noticed anymore when you go to a counter and you just no one can see you, it's just this way, hi, you know, um, that's the, the smallest sort of example of it. The, the big examples are exactly that. And that sense of rage, I think, comes just from that feeling that, all oh, right, you don't need us anymore. And especially when you go from one extreme to the other in the sense, and you mentioned it in the book, the celebration of aging and adolescence, that we should appreciate that attention from men and that they see us in that kind of light or whatever. Um, and then almost a weird, like you can almost feel a bit of shame and judgment by other women about that aging bit, but you're also a bit like, mm, like it, it, it's kind of um, weirdly satisfying and that's like an internalized misogyny of course but isn't it just crazy how it goes from one extreme to the other like we we want to get older so badly when we're in our adolescence and then when we get older we're like oh shit I want to go back (laughs) and really that desire you know to go back or to be in different spaces is about access to power in some way Mm. or to have uh equity of experience I know women feel also really um, fearful of growing older in the workplace. Yeah. There is, you know, so many examples of women feeling frightened that once you turn 50, you become less employable. So, you know, that sort of, um, that idea I think is really founded in real stuff. It's not, we hold up. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Youth in such a way... And it's, it's true. It's validated. You know, you get 20% more income, studies have shown, if you're good-looking and young. 
So, you know, these are these are not desires that we have simply because of vanity and because youth is where it's at. This is where the power structure of our society is really focused. I always think as well of when you go to a bottle shop and you're asked for your ID. I just remember, you know, probably up until the age of 25, I was annoyed when I'd get asked for ID because I would be like, oh, don't I look over 18? Like, come on. Like, you know, thinking that from 18 to 25 and then probably from like 26 onwards uh, being asked for my ID was like, oh, oh, you think I look young, you know? <laughs> exactly. And almost this is the thing that I think is really um, fraught and complex is how do we feel like we're being told to feel good about getting older and that we should celebrate our lines, but at the same time society actually only really celebrates us when we're young. So we're really caught in this way of like, oh, am I supposed to feel okay that you think I'm young? Because I do. I really like that because obviously I know that I'm going to be getting the sort of um, reaction and the opportunities that young people get. So it's a really fraught thing because we've been told on one hand to celebrate our lines and to feel so great about it. But on the other hand, really, that's not supported in in the way and in the world that we live in, except, of course, in celebrity culture where there's a lot of access to being old as being beautiful. Mm. I want to talk about the link between grief and aging too, Jacinta, because I think that's a really powerful conversation in itself. Um, and we've both discussed the role of grief in our chronic illness. How has it been, I guess, for you in terms of aging and, um, yeah, I guess mourning mourning your old self, which it sounds weird saying yeah. old because that's the irony of the word, but you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think as well what's been comforting is this idea that the self is always there, like the young girl is always with me. You know, my 15-year-old self is still inside. You know, I'm not this different person now. But, yeah, there is a real grief, I think, I think for me anyway, in the transitions that we go through, not because um, we don't wish to transition but just because change, I think, and adjusting to the identity of a different self is something that we grapple with. So especially I think perimenopause and menopause, there's a real sense of like, whoa, that time is now what? I always thought for my whole life that that would be who I am. Mm. You know, it's such a commanding part of our life. And when that's gone, there was a flicker in me of, oh, wow, that period of my life where I could possibly have children or, you know, it's not even about the having of children. It's that it's that just that period, I think, something being over because of the biological um, aspect of our life is quite something. And then also the shifting sands around who you are in family and who you are in the world around mm. you. It changes and coming to terms with that. I think is a really important thing to do quite well. Like this is, again, the book, trying to deal with the change so that there is there is a moment of grieving but an understanding and a celebration, I suppose, or acceptance of that change, which I know is quite correlated, isn't it, with how dealing with illness is also about finding that deep acceptance at some point. Yeah, there's uh, to like in, I think it's like halfway during the book, there's a line that you pen. It's so emo, but it's so true. And it's like the day we arrive on earth, we begin to take our journey to the end. And it's just like, when did, I don't know, when did you kind of make that realization? Was it in the, like what stage of your life? Was it in your thirties? 
Uh, I think it started in my 30s and I'd be interested about your perspective about this too and I love that you just called it emo. This is why I love being out with my young friends. <laughs> if you know the 18 children would say to you, Bridget, that is so, um, so old of you. But, um, yeah, I think what is interesting with the illness intersection is just that whole kind of grappling with death, you know, that you do, I suppose, when you're not well, when illness makes you actually have to look at your mortality. So I think it happens with that. But I, so I did do it in my thirties, actually, like this idea of like, whoa, we're actually, this is not just this living thing. We're actually. Also this dying thing. (laughs) Yeah, it is this dying thing. And I think middle age uh, for a lot of people heading into that 50 year old span, there's a bit of a moment of like, whoa, I've actually done, uh, you know, I've crossed over that middle point. Now I'm heading in the other direction toward another part of my life. And you will really feel that sense of where you're at right now, with which is this propulsion forward. You're creating, you're building, you're making, you're thinking about a future, you're wondering about a family. And so it's a really interesting time to get to the other side of that. You've done that, you've, you've perhaps had children, you've had a family or, or whatever you've done in that way you've done it and now you're on the other side potentially of it you know maybe you're getting divorced <laughs> maybe all your children have left home which is part of my experience as well one of them anyway you know like whoa I just imagined you know we feel like we're eternally in something and then all of a sudden we're somebody else mm. um looking back but also finding a way to look forward to be um living as humans even though we're not validated to do it our age brings us a whole other suite of opportunities. Yeah. When, I mean, in terms of like midlife and midlife crisis, Jacinta, what, are we saying that's from the age of 35 onwards? Because I feel like it's like where I am at at the moment, like it's not quarter life, I'm 31, but then I'm not midlife yet. There's a book out from Nell Frizzle called The Panic Years. So I'm kind of just using this, this, period of my life like I I don't I'm not in panic right now but I feel like I've been in that panic years cloud so are we saying midlife is like from 35 years onward yeah I think it's different for everyone depending on the kind of life that you've set up for yourself Mm. like whether you did all of those big life milestones early or whether they're part of your even your paradigm you know what is that point of your experience where you've kind of done that thing that you've been working hard to get to, I think. And the panic is what a beautiful description of. So this is part of it is when when you're past and through that and you can see the fullness of what you've created or what you've tried to do or, you know, the attempts that you've made on life. There's something beautiful about that. But that same kind of propulsion that's got you moving and shaking and doing things it changes in some way, I think. Yeah. And you put in the book as well. Like I was so interested to learn how the concept of midlife even originated. It was some researcher, professor guy, wasn't it? Didn't he put together some papers or something? I think it's the same idea that, you know, childhood emerged as well. It wasn't always the way children were just working. And then all of a sudden they stopped working. And I think in a similar way, this idea of middle age which was much younger because, of course, we died a lot earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, back in the day. So it was kind of in those sort of 20s, 30s. Mm. Um, yeah, just an idea of the midlife and then the midlife crisis, what it means to sort of sit in the middle. And the happiness index or the satisfaction index in Australia 
um, looks at the period that you and I are in at the moment probably is our most kind of fraught. And then it like gets really cool later, like into your sort of 55 and 60s, it, your satisfaction increases, I think, because I think you've come to terms with a lot of the stuff that perhaps is quite challenging, um, you know, when you're sitting in that mid space. Mm. Do you know what like also doesn't help, I, I suppose, is the ever presence of social media? Like how do you think social media has, you know, influenced the way in which we perceive ageing? Because like you mentioned in the book as well how you have a photo, like when we have photos that you find yourself holding your breath and if we don't like a snap that will go get another one until we get the right shot to kind of share. So like surely social media has got a pretty powerful um, influence on, yeah, the way in which we look at ageing now. Yeah, and I think it would be interesting to look at um, sort of the younger generations, the ones that you sit in and below that have really embraced body Mm. um, in the diversity of what it is. So there's been some brilliant shifts and changes around the way that we can see ourselves through very powerful voices in that space. And I think we just need a reality check on age as well. So at the moment, it's kind of been arrested into that celebrity space where ageing is still this beautiful, you know, in inverted commas, thing that we look, we still look young if we're old is beautiful. But what does old look like? Yeah. And I don't think we have enough examples of actually this is old this is like chins and wrinkles and skin and all the things that happen very naturally. Is this beautiful? And, you know, we've got to stop referring to being old and looking young as being beautiful, you know, like that you look 20 years younger. I, and I think we're going to need some strong force in that space to really claim claim it back. Mm. How has your relationship with your body evolved in terms of aging because yeah I mean as I mentioned before the relationship in terms of someone the relationship with your that you have with your body as someone with chronic illness is one thing but then when we throw aging in too so how have you kind of seen that you know evolve yeah it's a it's a it's an ever-present central factor I think you know the way we look the way we feel the way we see ourselves privately feeds into how we see ourselves and how we feel, you know, how we've been told to look. I'm honestly so, wondering yeah, when my boobs are going to get bigger. I don't think they're getting any bigger. <laughs> I have like these two tiny lemons. I'm like, is, do I have to wait until I have kids to get like big boobs? It's crazy. I'm 31. I, I thought I'd have bigger boobs by now. <laughs> that is so, let's still hope, Bridget. You never know if that's your desire. I will close my eyes and try and manage. I just want a little bit bigger because it's so hard to fit into fucking dresses. <laughs> But anyway, isn't it? No. <laughs> well, no, but yeah, it's all of that, and just that adjustment as well, like how your body changes when you go through menopause. Just the way your body is now very different, and how it um, metabolizes is really different. Where your fat sits, where your where your body grows and is, and changes, is really different to the bodies that we see in the world. So yeah, there's massive adjustment, and then how we relate in the world in our sexual lives, mm. you know, like what does that mean? Does, and the part of that stuff is really um, enforced upon us in terms of whether we still exist there or not. It's still within a young framework, you know, what does it look like from that youth perspective? Mm. It needs to be a massive revolution in terms of how we re uh, gauge it. 
I also find myself still like holding onto clothes from a few years ago, like in the hopes that they'll fit again. I have this dress that I wore in 2018. So I would have been 26, 20, turning 27. It doesn't fit me now, but I still hold on to it in the hopes that I'll fit back into it. But I should kind of just look at it more so and be like, oh, that looked good on me at that age, but I'm, you know, 31 now and that's okay. Like, I think that's a really interesting one. I'm sure a lot of people listening can probably relate to that when you hold on to clothes from like a younger time. <laughs> yeah. And even that idea of what is appropriate clothing to wear. For your age, yeah. It's just like a, such a surreal thought, isn't it? But, mm. you know, I wore my little um my jumpsuit the other day with shorts at work and I was like is this just weirdo like I had to ask people was like do I look like I'm trying to be 14 when I'm (laughs) nearly 50 would you wear it again yeah because this is part of it as well one of the beautiful things about getting older is that because no one's watching anymore or actually gives a shit you're like oh I'm so free to be my authentic self that I didn't necessarily know I wasn't being, but wow, like it's it's really, there's some incredible liberation in that. You also avoided objectifying yourself for seven days, you mentioned in the book. So what did that entail? And like, what did you find at the end of that experiment? So that was like not looking at yourself or anything, right? Yeah, there was a chick that did it for her wedding for a whole year. She didn't look in mirrors and everyone's like, you can't do that. That's crazy. But she did it and she had her wedding day without looking at herself in the mirror. So I sort of set myself a challenge to do it for um, just a week, which is a pretty dorky little science experiment. But (laughs) what was so surprising was that our lives are full of reflections of ourselves, mirrors, Zoom calls, um, the way that we can see ourselves in reflections everywhere and just how much my internal narrative was actually pretty discouraging, mm. you know, every day. And I hadn't really noticed what a nasty little kind of series of thoughts I might have, like, oh, you look really tired or oh, you're really old, you know, whatever, just quiet, regular, everyday thoughts. So taking that out of my day because I wasn't referring to myself in any way, I was just how it feels on the inside of me. It was so beautiful. I felt liberated. And similar to the woman who'd spent the year doing it, her reflection was when she looked back at herself a year later, she felt this enormous love toward herself. And even Was it a whole year? She did it a year. I just did it a week. But even after a week, I felt this affection because I'd got to that point where I felt loving, you know, much more loving thoughts. And people say, you know, when you feel like that, when you go camping, where you just sort of, you are just whatever, you're not looking at yourself. There's a real, there's a calmness, there's a love, there's a, you know, maybe that's part of what we love about it is that we're not referring to ourselves. What's really interesting is that you realise no one's really looking at you like that anyway. That real feeling of if I take out my own critique, there is none. No, you know, I'm not getting critique from anybody about how I look really I mean of course we are but not in that way that it feels like when you are having to check yourself every day to make sure you look okay no one else is really doing that Mm. the freedom to just like trust yourself to experiment to not be the things that you think you need to be that we've been so built to believe are what is valued and in some ways it is pulling yourself out of that for a bit is pretty amazingly liberating so once you like writing this book it's out in the world and having conversations with people how have you 
I guess, have you made peace with aging? How you feel about it? Yes. Yeah. I feel so much better about it because I feel like I really thrashed out the ideas. The, The concern, of course, is always around feminism as well and how do we be good older women, you know, how do I not be vain? You know, all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's not, it's really not about any of that. And I think at the end of the day, um, people like you in my life, like having a cross-generational experience, I really think is our answer. Like having conversations Mm. with each other, thinking with each other in all sorts of ways and and having a love for each other is going to break down the othering of aging and the othering of each other, you know, that that sisterhood idea of us loving each other tenderly across those generational lines I think is such an important part of a future of, of what needs to happen yeah just to make it a bit easier just I've, I've never had a conversation like this before like not even with my mum or you know uh like a, an older like family member or anything I think but it's so like I, I, everyone should do this <laughs> everyone talk to everyone do this and hearing you like it's the same thing and, and recognizing as well my role now to be really a listener you know, as much as anything, learning and thinking and changing some of the ideas I grew up in the 90s with, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, I know stuff, but I also I don't stuff. know a lot of stuff and there's so many beautiful things that we need to be humble around yeah. shifting and changing. We're all always learning. Yeah, and just the humility with each other, the the safeness with each other, mm. I think is a really beautiful model. And I'm, you know, I, that's why I hold you so sweetly like Mm -hmm. I I love being your work mom Mom. um you know because of that wonderful relationship you know sort of 20 years apart nearly and you wouldn't tell nah because we're both like old and young and we switch in and out (laughs) honestly I think I'm probably more of a nana than you anyway just much more of a nana Proud but I'm of also it. Nana out too. Yeah, you can you can hold a nana space. Very <laughs> well. What would your yeah. advice be, just into for people who are listening in their thirties and thinking this is old, and you know they're kind of having a bit of a crisis right now? Like looking back on your thirties, what would you say to those people going through it right now? I would just say it's so understandable to also have those feelings like don't feel like you shouldn't okay of course you should it's part of the growth it's part of the risk and then I think the most important thing is to trust to trust yourself to know that um, every step you take is sort of a really cool one even if you're not right at the end yet or even if you're not at that bit you think you're going to be at just really sit in it and enjoy it as much as you can because you will arrive or you will find your way somehow. And, yeah, I think it's it's a really exciting time as much as it's still hardcore, mm. 30s, hardcore. And I think as – 20s. <laughs> I think as well, you know, of course, it's important to acknowledge all the injustices and whatnot, but um, I saw a really – you know, a a really humbling comments on social media today about the whole conversation of aging. And it kind of brought things into perspective for me as well. And it was just, it was something like aging, you know, is a privilege that not everyone gets to do. So I think that's also a really nice thing to remember. Yeah. I mean, we've just got to reframe it properly. Mm. We've got to 
simply go in there and not be forced to say, okay, I feel really great even though the systems are totally against me as an ageing woman, you know? Yes, 100%. And it is a privilege and there's so much beauty in it. Um, but I think women have got to find their way there in a really strong way mm. and re reframe the way that we've been told who we are um, for so long. So, yeah, it is. It is a privilege. And it does, it does get better and better and easier and easier in so many ways. Yeah. It gets it's really cool. Yay. Jacinta, thanks so much for joining me. My little work baby. You'll <laughs> always be my baby. <laughs> Well, I hope you really got something out of that conversation. I really loved interviewing and chatting with a real inspiration of mine, the wonderful Jacinta Parsons. And I will attach a link to her book, A Question of Age. If you want to go purchase it, just check out the show notes of this episode. And yeah, you can hear Jacinta lighting up your radio on ABC Melbourne in the afternoons. I'll share the link to the program page as well. Thank you as always for listening to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite. This is a fully independent project. It is just me running this joint. So if you have any time to leave a review, a star rating, if you like what you're hearing and you want to share it with your friends, I would appreciate it so much. It's a weekly offering. This podcast is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. So I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land and I'll be back with you next week. Talk to you then. Bye.